It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 432 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, December 7th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. And of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We got uh, 32 NFL shows as well. We've got Locked On Fantasy Basketball. We've got two Locked On Fantasy Football shows. We've got Locked On NBA with weekly contributions from Ben Golliver and Sam Amick over there. We've got Locked On NFL as well daily with Matt Williamson hosting that. Uh, tons of stuff going on in the network, so make sure you are finding a show that you like, and if you find one that you appreciate, you find a host you want to support, make sure you go to this, the, the, the given iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, anything that hosts that podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. It's the best way to support the shows, and uh, makes us feel very good. It puts us up in the rankings, and makes us more visible, and helps us collect more listeners, and uh, that's what we all want at the end of the day, so thank you very much. If you've done it already, if you haven't yet, on the Lockdown Raptors page, please consider doing it again it takes no time at all it can be your christmas gift to me and i will very much appreciate it and it costs no money which is the best kind of gift to give all right on today's show it's uh it's been a sentimental day on raptors internet i think kind of inspired by eric kareen's fantastic feature for the athletic um but this just so people know this this podcast was planned before eric kareen wrote about the five-year anniversary of the rudy gay trade we are not piggybacking off of eric's idea this was planned but uh it's nice that it happened and it kind of makes more pe- people more kind of in the mode to reflect on the five-year anniversary of the rudy gay trade which is on december 8th which is saturday and joining me today to kind of reflect on the last five years and just kind of go through some big picture stuff highs lows Whatever we really are going to get to here, it's going to be a wide-ranging podcast, probably a longer one. Joining me for this is our pal, Joe Wolfond from The Score. How's it going, buddy? It's going great, man. I'm uh, delighted to be on this episode. Uh, Really looking forward to it. Yeah, this should be a good one. Um, It's going to be a good one. There's a refrain from the last five years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, that commercial will still be running ten years from now when Bruno Caboclo is... You need uh, need the narrator voice to come in. It was not a good one. Hey, that's a G League Finals MVP you're talking about right there. Or was that Pascal? I can't remember. Yeah, it was Pascal. Yeah. But, well, uh, he had a nice game. He had 31 in the clinching game, which I recall yeah. very vividly. Um, that happened during a playoff game, didn't it? Like a Raptors playoff game, if I'm not mistaken? It happened during Game 6 against the Bucks. That's which right. Is just wild. Yeah. So that just an uproarious day for Raptors fans. We'll get to that game, I'm sure. And a lot of other stuff in this podcast. But I guess where we should start is the logical point. The, the Rudy Gay trade itself, December 8th, 2013. Uh, I guess the, the logical question to begin with is, where were you? Do you remember it vividly? Or, or did you just kind of head past in the night without you really pay, paying much attention to it? I was in uh, Arizona, weirdly enough. Okay. Um, my grandparents were living there, so I was visiting them. And um, I had gone, like, not with any other family members, just by myself. So... Um, <laughs> It uh, it broke like pretty short like shortly before that Lakers game I think yeah uh, and 
so I think my grandparents were like settling in to go to bed. It was like, you know, six o'clock or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I was, so just, I was just like by myself down like an illegal stream, uh, of that Lakers game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it, it all, it, it was just like a bit of a whirlwind, I guess, uh, when it went down and it definitely seemed like it was going to be the start of a, an earnest tank job, mm-hmm. uh, that was going to land us Andrew Wiggins. So, um, <laughs> It was there was a weird sort of excitement about it. Like I, I had been engaging shamefully or shamelessly, I don't really know, but in, in uh, like some fan tanking during the early part of that season, mm-hmm. because it did seem like the team was going nowhere, and I did really want them to get Wiggins. Mm-hmm. So I'd kind of been rooting for them to lose games, uh, and I guess you know I, I, I don't know. I don't really remember what my reaction was, but I do very vividly remember watching that Lakers game. Uh, the Amir Johnson show. Yes. Yeah. Amir Johnson. Um, was, that that game. was also Kobe's first game back from. Uh, yeah. From his Achilles injury, so. Yeah, uh, that Amir Johnson game. We had what thirty points and like twelve rebounds or something like that. I'm pulling up the box score here, but. Um, yeah, I think he was thirty-two and ten. That's um, insane. Yeah, Just, and he had twenty-one in the first half. I want to say. Yeah, um, yeah. The Raptors win that game, one hundred six ninety-four. They moved to seven and twelve on the year, and like. I don't know. I wasn't expecting that to be like the beginning of a great run by any means. I was like, hey, that was a fun win. They laid eight guys. They spoiled Kobe Bryant's return. That's always good. Um, that was also the game where Jack Armstrong and Matt Devlin had like the extended rant about the Kardashians and trying to figure out which Kardashian was in attendance. That was a of really course good you one. would remember that aspect of the game. <laughs> um, and yeah, Amir Johnson in that game. 36 minutes played. He started, obviously. Uh, 14 of 17 from the field. 32 points, 10 boards, a plus 22. Two steals, two blocks, and assist. Um, very, very good. Also, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan kind of hinting at things to come as well. The, Kyle at 23 with 8 assists, 5 rebounds, and 3 steals, and 8 of 13. And DeMar at 8 of 19, which was kind of good for him at that point. 26 points, 5 assists, 3 steals, 5 boards. Also a plus 22. Uh, the other yeah. three guys off the bench were, I guess the other starters were Landry Fields, who started in place of Rudy Gay. Uh, he went 0 of 6 in 31 minutes. Very Landry Fields of him to do so. Uh, Jonas started as well. He only had 5 points in 28 minutes. And then off the bench, Terrence Ross, Steve Novak, and Julian Stone. Um, sure, man. <laughs> Just, uh, what a squad. Yeah, uh, very. I think it speaks ill of uh, Dwight Bikes, DJ Augustine, and Austin Day that they were on the roster and dressed but did not play in this game. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, yeah. Uh, also a harbinger of things to come for Kobe. Like yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. had been so excited about his return because the last time he played, he was still an elite player. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, nine points and eight turnovers in that game, and oh. then I think he only played a handful of games that year because he ended up with that kneecap injury. Yeah. And then was obviously never the same again after that. So delicious. I don't really revel in people getting injured, but Kobe, nah, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not a great guy. Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about Kobe. We're here to talk about, talk about what happened after that Rudy Gay trade. So the rest of that season we've kind of covered extensively. Actually, in the last Patreon podcast with Josh Howe, we talked about Game 7 of the Raptors Net series in depth. Um, I don't know, take me through your sort of ingestion of that season and sort of how that you know went down for you. Because for me, it was an interesting kind of thing. So I had kind of fallen out of the Raptors for a long time 
before the first Rudy Gay trade where they acquired him and then they got him and I was like, hell yeah, he's Rudy Gay, he's great, he's who they should have taken instead of Bargs and I was psyched about it. And I watched a bunch of games, and they went like 18 and 18 to finish the season, got the eighth seed or ninth seed, and I was like, yeah, I, I'm in on the Raptors now. And I guess at the start of the next year, I was kind of like floating in and out of interest, and then the, the trade happens, and I just like, I was living on my own at the time. I didn't live with my roommates who were only caring about hockey and like dominating the TV all the time, and I was just like kind of getting into every single game and watching them all unfold and seeing the team kind of go from this like lifeless 6-12 and 12 blob into this like team that was just super fun and exciting and was never down i think we the fourth started during this season where they would make all these fourth quarter comebacks um there, there was it was a really fun season do you remember sort of how you took it all in i just remember it being so novel yeah. you know even though obviously i had witnessed the raptors being a playoff team before uh it had been so long and they were it just seemed so clear that they were not moving in that direction. Yeah. And, you know, at the start of the season, it was like the measure of what was going to be a successful campaign was whether they finished with like a, you know, a top three draft pick basically. Mm-hmm. And, and so to suddenly have this turnaround was just like so surprising. And yeah, it was really hard not to get swept up in it. And that was the first season when they had the We the North campaign. And yeah, they had to um, bust it out early. For yeah, the, for I, the don't, playoffs. I don't remember like when it came in, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was they they dropped the first commercial with Drake narrating it uh, right. during game one of the playoffs because it was supposed to come a year later when they rebranded, but they were like, oh shit, we got to get this out now. People care. Let's yeah. let's do it. <laughs> I feel like, was that also when when Drake had the lint roller, or was that the next year? Yeah, he had the lint roller. I think in game two against Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, they handed those but just out. like a couple a couple things that I remember specifically. So obviously, like after that Lakers game, they go on that road trip and they have that overtime win against the Mavs. Yeah, and then they beat the Thunder after that, and that like it's starting to feel a little bit real. And the one that I really remember is New Year's Day. They beat the Pacers, which was a really big deal at the time because yeah. the Pacers were. That was before they started to fall apart. That was like right uh, around the beginning of their insane collapse, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, it was it was still before then. Like the Pacers were twenty five and five at that point. Jesus. Um, they were they were like yeah they they were playing like the best team in the league and um, that that game got the Raptors to five hundred. Mm. Um, they beat them on New Year's Day, and it was like holy crap! Like it, <laughs> they're actually good. I, I think that was the moment I actually started to believe it. And uh, and yeah, from that point on, they were just a really good team. And uh, there were a bunch of fun games, like the, you know Patterson hit that that game winner at the buzzer to beat the Nets. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrence Ross has a fifty-one point game. Um, a lot of fun games. That that uh, overtime game against the Thunder that obviously uh, <laughs> ended in heartbreak, but uh, <laughs> was just like an uh, an incredibly fun game. Durant, you know, hits that three at the buzzer to mm-hmm. uh, over Amir after Lowry had tied it with a three in regulation. Uh, um, and then, uh, yeah, it all it all kind of builds toward this wrenching series against the Nets. Um, and I just remember feeling like as, as heartbreaking as that loss was, it just felt like it was going to be okay because it felt like it was the start of something and not the end. Yeah, I'm with you. So. Yeah, I couldn't feel sad about that loss. I, I like In the moment, obviously, because of just how it happened and just sort of the unlikely turn of events that led to the, they were down like 10 with like three minutes left in that game and mm-hmm. and obviously had the chance to win it at the end so like just like that unlikely turn of events and just like the heartbreaking and also having it be fucking paul pierce who had the block at the end it's like 
yeah, it's heartbreaking for a second, but then with a couple days to sort of marinate on it, you're like, oh, well, damn. Like, this was a, 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 just, like, a wonderfully good season. They weren't really supposed to win that series anyway. The fact that they got seven was nice, and... Um, I don't actually agree with that. No? Um, I, I feel like no. the, the, the talk going in was like, oh, they're just going to lose to, like, the veteran-ass Nets. I think that was a take that some people had, but I certainly expected them to win. Like, the Nets were bad that year. They had a negative point differential. Like, they were old as hell. They were not... Yeah. Good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't quite agree that they weren't supposed to win. Like, they were definitely the better team, and they probably should have won. They just couldn't stop Joe Jack Johnson, basically. <laughs> uh, that's really what it came down to. Um, and even, like, you know, they, they had these raptor, random raptor killers. Like, Marcus Thornton had, like, a huge game seven yeah. out of the blue. Um, so it was annoying, but I remember that, like, the following day, yeah, I was just watching all of the kind of Raptors uh, like exit interviews on uh, Locker Cleanout Day, mm-hmm. and they were all just so happy and like glowingly positive. And Grievous Vasquez talking about how like you know God put him there and it was meant to be, and like he'd never been part of a team like that. And it was <laughs> just it felt good, you know. It was a yeah. nice uh, a nice bomb after uh, after being burned in that game seven. Like I, I felt optimistic moving forward. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Yeah, I guess I never really expected the Raptors to win it just because of maybe, like, PTSD from past Nets series or whatever. Also, like, this was a thing, actually one of my favorite things of that season was, like, the random arbitrary endpoint, like, oh, the Raptors are the best team in the league since December 8th or or January 1st or whatever. And then by the end of the year, the Nets were kind of getting in those graphics that were being put up on every game as well because they finished the season pretty strong. I think, like... Drinkgate with Jason Kidd kind of turned things around for them a little bit, if I recall. Um, that happened that year, right? Yeah, that did, but that yeah, was like okay. way earlier in the season when the team was in dire straits. Like right. they, they started off horribly. I think yeah. they were like ten games under five hundred. Yeah, but then um, they, 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 because I think they finished the season so strong, I was like, all right, well, this is not meant to be. They're going to lose this one. And like the Nets tanked down to play. They I think they admitted that fully, full on. Like, yeah, we tanked to play not the Wizards. We wanted to play. The, uh, the Raptors instead, which, I mean, the Wizards were actually kind of good that year before everything got real sad with them, too. Um, so moving forward to the 2014-15 season, Kyle Lowry resigns, which, honestly, I didn't really have that much of a concern about whether or not he was going to resign. Maybe I would sort of remember it differently. I know the Heat were kind of in on it, but for me it was always like, oh, well, Kyle's just coming back. Like, why wouldn't he? He just had the best season of his career, and this team actually, like, has a future. And the fact that he only – it was, like, a four-year, $48 million deal seems like such peanuts now. My God. Um, but, like, did you have concern that he wasn't going to come back at all, or were you just, like, trusted Masai, he's going to get it done? I definitely had concern that he wasn't going to come back. I yeah. mean, the history at that point was that that was how it went, right? Yeah, like that's star, true, yeah. star players did not resign. Yeah. And I guess the difference was that Lowry had only been a star for, you know, like Six half months? of a yeah. season, basically. Yeah. So it was different in that sense, but I definitely, you know, I, I had no idea whether he was or he wasn't going to. Um, do you remember how he announced it? How did he announce it? 
Did he tweet so, it out or it something? Was, it was it was an Instagram photo of him wearing the like the throwback purple jersey. Oh. And uh, I think I think it was I don't remember if it was like his number if it was like a, a Vince like fifteen throwback. Right. Um, but like he's got love handles in that photo, man. <laughs> it's. Uh, I remember yeah. this now. I, it, it's all coming back to me. Um, um, the love handles yeah, ominous for the season that was to come. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. Like, did, yeah. I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this season, and I know obviously the way that it ended, everybody kind of has a, a sour taste in their mouth about it. But uh, it's nice to remember just like how that season started because those first couple of months were incredibly fun. Oh, they were amazing. Yeah, I and. Uh... and um, Sorry, go ahead. I mean, like, Lowry started that season just, like, on fire. Yeah. And, um, you know, before, whether he got injured or got worn down, whatever happened to him at the end of the year, he was obviously nowhere close to being the same player, but he was player of the month in December that year. And um, the Raptors, you know, were, uh, I think, on New Year's, they were 24-8. and eight. Yeah. They they had the best offense in recorded history at that time, um, and and yeah, like Lowry was just tearing up the league. And honestly, people were talking about them as being the favorites in the Eastern Conference. Like I remember hearing Zach Lowe say that on his podcast, and just thinking how surreal it felt. Because this um, is this is LeBron's first year with them, right? So with and, the, with the Cavs, were a right? Mess. Yeah, they were like they were five hundred halfway through the year. Yeah, 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 and the Hawks hadn't really like put it all together yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Raptors were like clearly the best team in the East for you know the first two months of that season, and because you know you, it felt like the the carryover from those good 2013-14 vibes were you know just sort of booing them to bigger and better things. It, it like kind of felt like it was going to be at least somewhat sustainable and real. I didn't necessarily think that they were going to make it out of the East that year, but I definitely thought that like we were seeing the birth of a, of a juggernaut and not that it was going to totally fall apart the way that it did. Yeah, no, I agree. Those first two months might be one of the highest highs I can remember because for me personally, like it was my first year back from Ottawa for school. Um, and so I was at home and I was in the area and I had money and I didn't have a job and I was just like, well, I, I'm going to go to a bunch of Raptors games, I guess, because what the hell else am I going to do? Um, so I remember going to three games early in that season. I went to, I think, there was a game against the Magic where they won 104-100, I believe. Uh, and that was a comeback. They were down like 13 going into the fourth. And then that bench unit with Lou Williams, uh, Grievous Vasquez, James Johnson, Tyler Hansborough, and Patrick Patterson was like tearing it up at that time. And they like spearheaded that comeback in that game. And then I was at the Bucks game on the 21st. Where they won the by Bruno 42. Game. The Bruno game, like, holy shit, dude. I, I don't know if I've been to a more fun, at least regular season game. And, like, playoff games aren't really fun. They're just, like, stressful and angry. Um, whereas, like, that game was just, like, unadulterated family fun for the whole, like, for everybody. It was just, like, the entire game was just, like, this sort of, there was just, like, this aura around the players. And Bruno was there. And just, like, the entire arena was just so into it. And 
at this point they're like 12 and 2 or something like that. Like they were they were just kicking ass. And then I went to the Suns game a couple games later where it was more of a, a couple days later, it was like more of a close game. They ended up pulling it out at the end. I think Eric Bledsoe, like as Eric Bledsoe used to do with the Suns, uh, like just completely dropped a, a bomb on the Raptors, but the Raptors ended up pulling it out. And they were just, they, they felt like they couldn't lose in that early part of the season. And yeah, that continued in December. And like, as you said, Kyle was incredible. And then I think it was... November 28th against the Mavs, that's when DeMar got hurt, right? He, I'll, I'll always remember this day. I was at an Arkells concert at Danforth Music Hall, and within like 20 minutes of each other, I got a notification that the Blue Jays had traded for Josh Donaldson and DeMar DeRozan just torn his, had torn his adductor. And I was like, how do I feel right now? This is insane. Um, and then Kyle just carried the team for the next month, and it was totally like, it was like as if DeMar wasn't there. Uh, or it didn't matter that DeMar wasn't there. Uh, obviously it did because Kyle ended up breaking down. And I don't know, were there games in that little stretch where you could kind of remember really standing out? So not after DeRozan got injured, but mm. I want to just like highlight this three-game stretch yeah. that included that Bruno game, right? So the first game is it's against the Grizzlies, who are also just tearing up the league at that time. And that's the Vince return um, game, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. the Vince, like, we forgive you game. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they play, you know, they play the montage, and he's crying, and he's getting a standing ovation. And um, first of all, like, I think it's clear, you know, what needs to happen in order for those uh, those moments of kind of embrace and forgiveness to take place. is like the team just has to get, get good again, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that was all that really needed to happen. And, like, you see it with Bosch, too, right? Like, the last time Bosch... Bosch was at that uh, that game against the Sixers and got a standing ovation for yeah. I think the first time in the, in the ACC. So um, Vince Vince gets a standing ovation. He, he's crying and and then the Raptors like come back and beat the Grizzlies. Lowry ices it with a turnaround fadeaway over Marcus All. And this was the year the Grizzlies were awesome. Yeah, they like so for was, a while they were like a final. It was like them and the Warriors atop the West. Yeah, they yeah. they were killing it at the start of that year. So that was like a big measuring stick game and just a great win. The, the next game after that is that 42-point win over the Bucks um, when when Bruno has his coming out party. Eight points and in the, the fourth. Ver- yeah, the very next day after that uh, is a game in Cleveland, the first time that they've faced like the, the LeBron-led uh, Cavs, mm-hmm. or the second-era LeBron-led Cavs. And Lou Williams just absolutely goes off in that game. Yeah. And they demolish the Cavs. Um, and I remember, like, I was in Kingston for that weekend, so I watched both the Bucks game and the Cavs game uh, in Kingston that weekend. I was visiting friends, mm-hmm. and I was watching with maybe like eight or nine other guys that uh, the Cleveland game. And it was like, <laughs> as the Raptors were dribbling it out at the final buzzer, like we all just sort of spontaneously got up onto our feet and like burst into rapturous applause, <laughs> like the way that the fans of the game would. And it went on honestly for like a full two minutes, like we were just standing there cheering. And um, yeah, I just remember feeling like really excited and actually thinking that that the team was for real, and, and I kind of couldn't believe it. Like it had never felt that way before. Yeah, that game was crazy. That was the only win of the Raptors, or sorry, the Cleveland, the second Cleveland LeBron era for the Raptors in Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken. Um, came, I think that's right. Came real early. Yeah, Lou Williams came up. They actually started that game off. I think they were down almost 20, and then they started to pull back at the end of the first quarter, and then for the rest of it, they just kind of ran with it. 
Yeah, Lou in that game, 30 minutes played, 36 points, 4 rebounds, 3 steals, 1 assist, 9 of 19, and then 15 of 15 from the line. Yeah. <laughs> so another thing I remember from that, so Will Cherry was on that Cavs team. And yeah. He like, actually got burned and was like, guarding Lou Williams for large parts <laughs> of that game. And um, Lou was like getting an interview after the game was over. And I can't remember who was interviewing him, but they asked, like, what did you see that kind of, like, got you going? And whoever it was, I, I want to say it was, like, Pat Patterson, who was, or maybe it was even Damar, who was, like, walking by, and they heard that question. <laughs> so the question is, like, what did you what did you see that got you going? And the person who was walking by just yelled, Will Cherry. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was uh, a great game. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and then the run continues through December, and then it's right around sort of Christmas where things get a little bit dicey. I think this is kind of late in DeMar's 21-game absence. They go on this Western road trip right around I think it's like wrapped around Christmas, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, they, they go out to the Chicago on the 22nd, and then they go to, to play the Clippers, Nuggets, Blazers, Warriors, and Suns on a road trip. And... That Blazers game was probably, like, the most entertaining game of the season. It was insane. They went to OT. They lost by five. And then after that, things kind of spiraled a little bit. They played the Warriors. They lost that one in Golden State uh, by 21. And then they lost to the Suns. And then they came back home. And I think that Charlotte game on January 8th is DeMar's first game back. But they never really kind of got back rolling for like, kind of for the rest of the season. Like, they were kind of just, like middling the entire year after that um at whether it was just like working demar back in or kyle just being kind of worn down they had one more six game winning streak but other than that like they were pretty rough and they had like a nine and ten stretch where they lost uh nine of ten and, and it was just it kind of got a little bit somber a little bit because you're looking ahead to the playoffs and they're sliding down the standings and they're not you know projected to win 50 plus anymore and it's like oh this is kind of a bummer season do you remember sort of how you reconciled that that sort of second half of the year? Um, I, yeah, I was not in a good place. <laughs> <laughs> like, the enthusiasm really fizzled just so quickly. Um, and it wasn't even just that they were losing, but it was watching Lowry slowly break down. Yeah. I mean, that was really it, right? And he just became a shell of himself. He uh, missed a ton of games, And it was really sad too. to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, there was really, like, after... They had one game that I remember, like, after the All-Star break, they started started to kind of, like, put it back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they played the Hawks in the first game after the All-Star break and just smacked them. Yeah. Uh, beat them by, like, 30 points. Uh, and the Hawks were, like, the best team in the East at that time. So that made you think that maybe they were, like, ready to go on a second-half run. And they were fresh off they having an entire lineup named Player of the Month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. Um yeah, and then they promptly lost 9 of 10, and, and there was not, like, a single good moment, I don't think, the rest of that season, aside from DeGrievous Vasquez shimmy in Game <laughs> 1 against the Wizards, and the uh, and the Randy Whitman clipboard moment that immediately followed. Hell yeah. Um, so there are two moments in this part of the, like, in the second half of the season in playoffs that I would sort of rank as the two lowest points, or two of, like, the three or four lowest points I can sort of recall me feeling, at least, uh, during the post-gay era. One is February 28th. They play the Knicks. It's their fifth loss in a row. And DeMar DeRozan missing the 360 dunk was like, oh, my, nothing can go right. This is terrible. Um, And so they lost that game, 103-98, to, like, a really shitty Knicks team. And then was that that 14-15 Knicks team, like – 
a sub twenty win team, if I recall correctly. Like they were awful. Yeah, seventeen wins. Yeah, like this is the team with like Travis Ware and like Ricky Lido and oh my god, just a very very gross. Alexi Shved was playing a bunch. I remember this team now. What a disaster. Sam Dalbert, Bargs, obviously. Um, and then I guess the second lowest moment, and this is probably like the lowest moment I can recall. Just for just a because of my own personal biases, and then also just the the the, the tenor of the arena after it happened. Game two, Raptors Wizards. I was in attendance for this one. I spent like 150 bucks on tickets to go to this game to sit like the last row of the 300s, and just from the start to finish. So by the end of the year, I was very tired of the Lou Williams experience. Like I was not a fan. One of my first blogs I ever wrote was about like Lou taking shots at the end of quarters and how it was terrible and how much I hated it. Um, and I was just very very tired of that whole experience and then this was the game where he got honored with six man of the year before the game just to kind of rub salt in my wound and then this was also the game where james johnson came in and i was also an an unabashed james johnson hater at this time and just like didn't understand the like like just the constant rage that people had that he wasn't playing and just like the fire casey sentiment that was coming pretty much exclusively from the james johnson hive at this point and I remember he got like a standing O when he got subbed into this game at one point, and his very first possession on on defense, Paul Pierce hits a three in his eye, and I was just like, yeah, this is like what the fuck I've been talking about. Like this is not saving anything. This team is broken right now, and James Johnson ain't fixing it. And just so just being in attendance for that, the last home game of that season, and you knew it was gonna be the last home game too, man. I might have tried to like be the positive Sean and be like, oh no, it's not over yet. They have a chance, but like we all fucking knew, man. It was. It was not going to end well, and I, I just that that was a real low point for me. It was game two, just being there. That's 150 bucks. I'm never getting back. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it gets much much lower <laughs> in the last uh, five years than that Wizards series. Certainly not. Uh, before we move on to talk about happier times, I want to tell everyone about our sponsor for today, and that is Action Heat. Action Heat makes the world's best battery-heated clothing. Heat on demand at the touch of a button. Control your environment with Action Heat. Action Heat clothing is engineered to safely and efficiently deliver heat via heating panels similar to those of a heated car seat. They can reach temperatures up to 135 degrees and are powered by rechargeable 5-volt lithium-ion batteries that last up to 12 hours on each charge. And Action Heat batteries can also be used to recharge your phone or any other gadget you have while you're wearing them. Perfect for any friend or family on your holiday gift list. Great for anyone who works outdoors, skiers, snowboarders, or anyone that loves the outdoors and hates being cold. Action Heat clothing provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole body, including heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. You can stay warm and cozy from head to toe with Action Heat. Action Heat is available in men's and women's and has great new styles and models just released for this winter season. Make winter activities more enjoyable with a blast of warmth. Action Heat is the perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm even in the most frigid winter weather. Heated products to fit everyone's budget starting at just $39.99 and we've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com slash locked on and check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash locked on or use the coupon code locked on at checkout to save 20% off your order. Stay toasty and warm while you enjoy all your favorite outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat and thanks to Action Heat for sponsoring the podcast. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. 
Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, speaking of action heat, the Raptors ended up winning a series against the Heat in the 2015-16 season, but much happened before we got to that. Uh, this was a, a just like a, a very good season altogether, right? Is this like for you the peak season in Raptors history at this point, or like even today? I mean, I think as far as regular seasons go, I would still take last year. Right. Um, but if you're looking at it holistically with playoffs included, yeah, it's got to be. I mean, they make it to the conference finals. They come up incredibly just two wins short of the finals. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because of, like, the way that the previous season had ended, there were these reduced expectations that they just shattered. Mm-hmm. And I remember very specifically, like, this was the year that the Blue Jays got insanely good. Yeah. And the Jays had basically just lost game six against the Royals yeah. uh, like a couple of days before the Raptors opened their season. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, I can't do this with the Raptors right now. Like, <laughs> I was still bummed out about uh, about the way that Wizard series had gone and like that season had ended. And after like the high highs of that Jays, uh, that Jays late summer, I, I like just was having a really hard time like re-engaging <laughs> with the Raptors. Right. But then suddenly there was like the, the skinny Kyle Lowry picture. And then they start that season 5-0 and and Lowry looks incredible again yeah. after looking just like so broken down at the end of the previous season. And suddenly, you know, that was all in once again. This is also the New Jersey season as well. I thought that was yes. a nice little like revamp and refresh on what had all gone wrong the season before. Um, it's the, it's the <clears throat> Biombo and Scola season. Yeah. Oh, Biombo, man. I'm just... I'm so glad he got paid. I'm sorry it's kind of limited his like usefulness in the NBA now and no one wants him, but very glad he got paid. He deserved every pen he got after this season. Like just delightful from start to finish. Um Jonas missed a bunch of games this year, right? And, and Biombo filled in for him if I if I recall. That's correct. Yeah, and he was like really good. Um this was also the Damari Carroll season. And like I remember also yeah. this. I remember the the Damari Carroll signing and being super thrilled about it because it happened the same day the Leafs traded Phil Kessel, uh, Canada Day or whatever. I was at the Blue Jays game. I don't know why I went to the Blue Jays game on Canada Day. Goddamn rookie mistake right there. Um, but I remember getting the news of Damari Carroll and Phil Kessel within like half an hour of each other as well. And just like during that day, I'm just sitting there like watching the Blue Jays play. And I'm just like, oh, wait, the Raptors are after LaMarcus Aldridge? And what, they're after Wes Matthews? Like, what's going on here? This is incredible. I'm talking myself into, like, DeMar, Wes Matthews, DeMari Carroll lineups and, like, just getting super excited by them, even though Wes Matthews' Achilles at this point is like a string bean. Um, it just, I was uh, I was pretty thrilled. So I was looking forward to this season going in. This, like, also personally was my first season covering the team, like, in person, which was cool. Um, so I'll always have sort of fondness for it in that regard, too. But, um yeah, just uh, the, the, the as the season went on, it kind of just felt more and more real, right? It didn't feel like the season prior where there was just like a drop-off that was coming. Um, I think for me, the big moment, there was like, there, I guess there were two sort of linchpin moments of the season. January 3rd and 4th, they play a back-to-back against the Bulls, Bulls and Cavs. And this is the Bulls game where 
Uh, Jimmy Butler scores 40 and a half and sends Damari Carroll to the operation room. And then they lose to the Cavs the next game. And then you get, like, Tim and Sid being like, they should trade Kyle and Damar. And this is over. This is terrible. Blow it up. And then they go on an 11-game winning streak right away, right away out of that. And it was just like, hell yeah. I, I, I'm glad that, like, the timing of this could not have been better for the take artists who were, like, really, really, like, upset and, like, whiny that the Raptors had lost a couple games in a row. Yeah, I mean, that Jimmy Butler game was ridiculous. It sucked ass. <laughs> and the fact that Damari, like, basically didn't play for the rest of that season was yeah. just, it was incredible. But, um, yeah, it happened for me earlier than that. Like, first of all, there was the Corey Joseph game winner against the Wizards. Hell yeah. Um, in late November. Uh, that was an incredible moment. Um, and then the one that really sticks out to me, and it's just, like, one of my all-time favorite Raptors losses, mm-hmm. is that game against the Warriors. The Warriors are 20-0 and yeah. coming in. Um, and it's an afternoon game, uh, I believe, on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, oh no, sorry, it's on it's a Saturday, Saturday yeah. uh, in Toronto, and uh, they're twenty and zero. Like it's it was ridiculous. And, like the Raptors <laughs> had actually almost gotten them in Golden State earlier that season too. Yeah. So, just an incredible game. Lowry has, uh, I think, forty one in that game. Steph has forty four, um, and the Raptors have like a lead with four or five minutes left in the fourth quarter they're up by three points and they're down by three points um lowry gets an and one layup to drop but he can't make the free throw yeah um and so they lose that game by three but it was just like i remember watching that and, and feeling like it was real at that point you know like the fact that they had taken this juggernaut that they had already almost beaten um and went down to the wire with them mm-hmm yeah, that was, that was an amazing game. Yeah, I was at uh, a work Christmas party at the Scarborough Delta for this game. And dinner was at like 6.30 or something. And I remember me and my cousin just like leaving dinner to go watch the end of this game in the hotel bar. We were just like, no, we, we can't be here for this. We have to go watch this game. What an insane starting lineup for this team. And insane that it actually like kept up. Lowry, DeRozan, Carroll, Scola, Biombo. <laughs> like, and no one had a good yeah. game in the starting lineup outside of Kyle. Kyle was fourteen to twenty six for forty one points, six to ten from deep. Uh, Demar was five of nineteen. Carroll was four of ten, fine. Uh, Scola was two of nine, and then Biombo, uh, fourteen minutes had no points and didn't even attempt a shot. Uh, like it, looking at this box score, Bebe had a ridiculous game. He was seven of nine. He had fourteen. I guess Corey Joseph was pretty good, but like no one in this game outside of Kyle was particularly good. To the, to the degree that you would expect that they would have, like, kept pace with the Warriors. But they did, and it was just like, yeah, after this, they kind of went on a run, right? Like, they this is they were 12-9 and nine at this point. Like, they rattled off some wins to get up to 56 by the end of the year at this point. Like, they, they didn't start on the same pace that they ended up finishing the season with. So, um, yeah, that game stands out quite a bit. Then there's obviously the step-back Kyle game against the, the Cavs. Um, where they win in Toronto, 99-97. That was a really good one. That any game against the Cavs where they won always felt pretty good. <laughs> um, and then yeah, that the, yeah. the Lowry step back over Delavadova is just an all timer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they had been trailing that entire game. Uh, Demar, I think, was sick or something. He only had one field goal that game. Lowry ended up with forty three. Yeah. And they were like a game behind the Cavs for first in the East at that point in time too. And it yeah. just like. I remember feeling like there had never been a more important regular season game for them yeah. before. Um, Honestly, that still that might. Just... Yeah, I know everyone's like, oh, like every new big game is like, oh, the biggest game in Raptors regular season history. Like this one actually might still hold up as like the most memorable, biggest, like whatever 
regular season game, as big as regular season games can be for a team that wins 50 games a year at this point. Um, yeah. Like, and that, also, fuck you, Kyle Lowry doesn't show up in big games. Yeah, like, <laughs> he shit. <laughs> this whole season was like a giant rebuke to that concept, man. Like that that yeah. Warriors game, uh, that game against the Cavs, and then you know several playoff performances in which he showed out. Yeah. Uh, so the playoffs start. The Raptors lose to the Pacers at home in Game One. Um, by now, the Game One thing is just like a joke after this happens, um, and still would not end for quite a while. Was game was their first Game One win last year against the Wizards? Am I? It was. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, apologies for all the swears on today's episode. This uh, this podcast is uh, engendering some uh, feelings uh, apparently. Um, so yeah, that Pacer series happens. I don't know. Do you? Th- what an ugly playoff run, to be honest. It was amazing, and I will remember every second of it and cherish it, but, like, just so ugly for, like, the large majority of it. Yeah, utterly sickening. Um, <laughs> but it's, we, we get some really great individual moments peppered throughout the, yeah. uh, the hideousness of that playoff run. And um, <laughs> obviously, you know, that Game 5 comeback against the Pacers uh, and the Norm Duncan transition that tied it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the lineup that Frank Vogel ran out there without Paul George to start that uh, fourth quarter. Rodney Stuckey losing the ball out of bounds and Drake clapping in his oh face. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> and then the, the Solomon Hill three that wasn't. Um, Long-fingered Solomon Hill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, what a game. Yeah. And, um, Honestly, and it might then, be the game upon which the trajectory of the Raptors hinges the most. Like, even today. Like, I think they lose that series, they blow it up. I really do. I think DeMar probably walks. That was DeMar's free agent year, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think they probably trade Kyle. And I think that's just, like, that, that. I think that's probably the end of that era if they lose game five and then game six, which they got killed in game six after winning game five. But, um, yeah. like, that, that, the entire following two years, three years now that we're into after that is uh, totally different if they lose that game five, I think. For sure, and I mean, like Zach Lowe has reported that uh, Dwayne Casey would have been fired yep. if they had lost that series. Yep. So, um, but they survive it. Um, they hold on in Game Seven after like nearly blowing a fifteen point fourth quarter lead. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, Game One against Miami happens. It's kind of a sleepy game. Neither team's playing particularly well, um, and the Raptors are down three points with no timeouts left and three seconds left to go in regulation. And um, as far as, like, singular moments, you know, not games or, or moments in time, but just, like, things that have happened on a basketball court, I think this was, like, number one for me, this Lowry heave. It's the craziest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I... Like, just a, oh. Yeah, a moment of pure bliss and, like, utter befuddlement and, like, just bananas. Like, you know the elevator situation at... Scotiabank Arena now, then the ACC, it can be a little dicey after a game. And if you don't get on the first one down, you're going to be waiting a little bit and you might miss the start of the coach or whatever. Um, so I was standing in the stairwell, ready to like leap and go down the elevator. I had all my stuff ready and I was like getting a head start on everybody because I was like, I'm sad. This is stupid. I'm just going to get out of here right now. And then Kyle hits that shot and I... I try to, I'm not Reynolds here, I try to keep it even keel on press row, <laughs> but, like, I lost my shit. Like, I, like, arms in the air, just like, holy God, what the hell just happened. Um, I don't think I've ever heard the ACC louder than that. Matt Devlin's call for it, like, watching it back still gives me chills. 
Um, just insane. Then the overtime happens, and it's a bummer, even though Jonas plays really well. Um, and then I guess one of the lowest points for me of the last however long, five years it's been now, I should know what time frame we're talking about, is um, honestly when Jonas goes down in game – was it game three against the Heat? Yeah. He goes down with that ankle injury, and, like, I was just bumming hard, man. I was like – this was – it was a real coming out party for him. He had been like he'd beasted a couple games against the Pacers, and then it was just killing the Heat. And somehow the Jonas Whiteside matchup was like the only compelling thing going on in that series to begin with. Like it was ugly ass basketball, and like it's doubly sad, I suppose, because like for me to be upset about not watching Hassan Whiteside is sad on its own. Like well, it's supposed to be a good thing to not watch Hassan Whiteside, but um, even then, it just like him going down. Really spoiled everything, and they, I, know, I, know, I know they won that game, but just, like, as the injury happened, it was just like, really, man? Like, it's been unwatchable swill so far, and you're just going to make it even worse by having this injury? It, it just sucked. Yeah, and I think Whiteside had already gotten injured at that point. I yeah, and he got injured earlier in this game, right? Or did he miss yeah, the start of this so, game? Uh, yeah, he did. And then, you know, the Heat are basically running, like, blue all dang, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, uh, um, yeah, like who else did they have? Even they had Luol Deng, Joe Johnson, like Udonis ha- or Udonis Haslam at center, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, um, little so Josh yeah, McRoberts. Oh, Josh McRoberts killed them for a little bit of that series too. Fuck. Yeah. That sucked. Um, <laughs> and then he was never heard from again. Nope. Uh, he like randomly broke his ankle in like game six of the series. Yeah. And then never played again. Um, but yeah, JV had sixteen and twelve in twenty-two minutes of that mm-hmm. game before he got hurt. Yeah, sucked a lot. Um, yeah. But that was also the game in which Lowry like finally broke out of his shooting slump, and he carried them to that win. So well, yeah, because it was after game was it game one against the Heat, like the 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 heave shot, because he was like one of ten or something from three in that game, and his one hit was that half court heave, and that was when he had the performative like shooting solo shooting workout workout after the game, right? That was that was that game, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I think it was after that game, and he also had like the softball size goiter on his elbow yes i forgot about that it was although i do think there was some photoshop action going on when there, people were like posting photos of it i like i could never really tell exactly how big his elbow was um i, I don't think it was like blake griffin when he had that like infection going on but uh, i think it was certainly something that needed to be drained um but yeah he breaks out and then obviously game seven against the heat it's probably my I don't know. It's tough to sort of decipher what the highest point is for me and, like, the, the best I've felt about the Raptors at any time. But that 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 end of game seven, after Kyle completely goes off, he has, what does he have in this game? 35 on 11 of 20. Um, Biombo has 17 and 16. DeMar, like, didn't have a crazy efficient game but still had a cool 28. And, like, even Damari Carroll hit his threes and was pretty good. And just, like, they completely outclassed the Heat in that series. And it was like, oh, my God, they actually look like a real team that's not just playing this, like, grimy sludge ball. And it, it just felt really good. And I remember I was writing in the quick recap for that game for Raptors HQ. And I was sitting up in the gondola. I was like, I'm just going to write it up here. And I was, like, on the verge of tears just writing that thing. I'm just being like, fuck, man, they did it. Like, they're in the conference finals. This is crazy. That was that was a fake Tupac at Young and Dundas day, right? That's when that uh, happened? I think so, yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> the high stepping it across uh, across the intersection at Young and Dundas. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that was one of the most purely joyful games for sure. Yeah. Um, and also just the, you know, a weird random aside, but 
uh, Blake Murphy, one of the all-time best pieces he ever wrote was like a recap of that game. Yeah, I think it's the best piece I ever wrote too. Um, like thinking back to it, I just I it's the one I'm happiest with. I think I just it was very raw emotion, and it was very quick after the game that I got posted. But I was just like sitting in the gondola by myself, like on the verge of tears, talking about how like. The Raptors hit their ceiling, and that's not a thing most teams get to do. Because I guess there was no real expectations against the Cavs, right? It was, you know, they're going to lose to the Cavs. This was the year that the Cavs won the title. They were a fantastic team. And I had no illusions of the Raptors getting to the finals. But just, like, getting to where everyone thought they could get to, not a lot of teams actually reach their, 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 their they sort of become fully actualized, right, and reach what their potential is. And the Raptors did that, and it was... Uh, after so many years of just like being sad about the team and then the playoff struggles the year before and even just how ugly it took the, like how gross it was on the way to getting to the conference finals i don't know i just it felt really it was just a different sensation that i've ever felt with the raptors before i suppose um is the best way to describe that it was uh well, oh, you got a little misty-eyed over here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the amazing thing is, and like, I, I fully didn't expect to have like any other moments like that uh, for the rest of the season. But then they have these these unbelievable two games. Yeah, man, against the Cavs to even that series after just getting dummied in the first two. Um, and Biombo has that twenty-six rebound game three. Yeah. Um, and and. Um, like another just in, like random incredible moment that I remember from the end of that game, he gets hit in the balls like in, in like the very last play of the game. Yeah. And he goes down in a heap, and JV was already out. Biombo had been incredible, and I'm watching you know with a few friends, and we're all holding our breath <laughs> and just like praying that it wasn't anything serious and that it was just a dick shot. Yeah. And, and so they they show the slow motion replay and we all just break out into a chant of balls like we're so happy like nobody had ever been so happy to see a nut shot before um, and I'm pretty sure it was Dante Jones that delivered it too fittingly oh definitely this is only NBA skill was punching people in the dick um, yeah uh, yeah this was uh, game four I mean. Yeah, game four to um, me is my favorite of the, of the two. I can't remember what game it was where Biombo had that stretch where he had the, the dunk and then the block and then the dunk. Um, like, that is one of the craziest, like, minutes of Raptors basketball you'll ever see. I can't remember if it was game three or four. But for me, game four, and I talk about this ad nauseum at this point, like, the, the stretch in the fourth quarter where the Cavs were scoring on every single possession with that fucking bench unit with Iman Shumpert, Richard Jefferson, Della Vadova... LeBron and Channing Fry, and they were running the same goddamn option play over and over and over and scoring every single time. Yet the yeah, Raptors like straight possessions. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But the Raptors kept scoring. They scored like eleven of those fourteen possessions the other way. So they they ended up being able to hang on. And for me, that was like the you know maybe game three was although the Cavs aren't really trying and whatever and like they they kind of pack it in. But like you could tell they were actually going for it in game four. And the Raptors took their best punch and survived it. And that was sort of the moment where we're like, okay, like the Raptors can hang at least a little bit. And it's not completely a wash. And I, I felt better after that game than I have after any Raptors game, I think, ever. It, just in terms of like their level of play. Yeah, there's this incredible moment in the first half of that game when the Raps went up like 20 points. Yeah. Um, when uh, LeBron goes up for what looks like a clear alley-oop and Biombo meets him at the rim with like a two-handed block. It was a fucking block. It was not a goddamn and it, foul. <laughs> and it's called a foul and it's just like the crowd reacts but 
you know, immediately after they they uh, process their disappointment at it being called a foul, they just it, like erupt in cheers. Yeah. You know, it's like the loudest I've ever he- heard a crowd cheer for a foul. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was an amazing moment, and and Lowry was just insane in this game. Yeah. Thirty five points on fourteen of twenty. Like you know, one more time for the Lowry doesn't come through in big moments crowd. He yeah. was so good. Um. And uh, he ices this game when he uh, he burns J.R. Smith off the dribble and gets a clear layup. And, like, you go back and watch the replay of that. And Tristan Thompson is, like, desperately trying to come over and help at the rim. And Biombo just has him arm-locked, like, won't let him go. <laughs> um, it's redemption yeah, for so the, the, the bullshit foul call when he blocked LeBron. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, also, one yeah, of DeMar's that. best playoff games, too. It was. 14 yeah, to 23. Two of them finished with 67 in, yeah. the, in the game on 28 to 43 shooting. So. Yeah. Wild stuff. Um, um, but so. yeah, I was fortunate enough to attend that game, and that's like, it's up there among the best sporting yeah. events I've seen live. Up there with Jays Rangers game five. Oh, God. Yeah. No kidding. Um, so then we go to 2016 17. Uh, I guess De- the DeMar signing always felt like a formality. I know Stephen A was like, he's going to the Lakers. And it was like, nah, he's going to stay. I-, I never really had any concern about that. Um, so he stays. They go into 2016 17. And weird season. I don't I don't really know how I feel about 2016 17. Like, well, how do you sort of recall feeling about that year? This was another one where I think the team was really good. And it. The, the way that it ended, I think, uh, undersold how good that team actually was. Yeah. It was like a weirdly anonymous year, at least for the first half of it. Um, aside from the fact that Lowry was just like, this was his best season. He was ridiculous. If he got to man. like play yeah. that whole year. Um, this was, that was the best that he'd ever played. Yeah. Um, and I remember like early in the year, there were those two Utah games. They played them like a week apart and Lowry utterly decimated them in both of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go on this weird slide where suddenly they can't win. Mm-hmm. And Lowry comes out with these like cryptic comments uh, after they blow a big lead against the Pistons. And the next day, they, they swing the Ibaka trade. Yeah, that January um, was rough, man. They It was so weird because it felt like everything fell apart when Patrick Patterson got hurt. I think yeah. it was during the Phoenix game, December 29th. Patrick Patterson got hurt, and then they were kind of 500 for the next couple weeks, but then they went on this like crazy slide where they lost most of their games in January into February before the All-Star break. And it was just like, it, it, it really did feel like a critical point where, hey, like, what's going to happen this offseason? Kyle might leave. Like, every loss felt like it was denting the potential of Kyle returning. And, you know, it felt like, hey, this is the beginning of the end almost. And... I remember, yeah, it just, for some reason, Patrick Patterson going down threw the entire team off. And ultimately... Well, the reason was they didn't have any other power well, forward yeah, at true, the time. Well, yeah, true, true. So the All-Star break happens. They kind of have a little bit of a slide going into it. They lose another goddamn game to the Bulls uh, just before the All-Star break. And uh, they come out. Uh, yeah, they, oh, sorry, they beat the Hornets. Actually, yeah, that last win before the All-Star break was a good one because that was the, the Hornets DeLon game. The DeLon right coming out party. Yeah, it was the DeLon, uh, Corey Joseph, Kyle Lowry backcourt, the three-point guard lineup they rolled out. And with, like, Damari Carroll and I think oh, – who was Pertle? And Pertle, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and they made that comeback there. And then they go into the All-Star break, they make the trade, and then – do you right, remember well, where you were when the Ibaka? Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry goes to the All-Star game. Oh, my God. Shoots a nine in the <sighs> three-point shootout. A nine. Yes. 
goes golfing, uh, I think plays in the game, in the All-Star game itself, yeah. um, and then it's the trade deadline, then they trade for P.J. Tucker, mm-hmm. like right at the buzzer, and excitement is like at an all-time high, and then it's announced that Lowry needs wrist surgery, yeah. <laughs> and he's out like four to six weeks. God, that was... This is one of the weirdest like emotional roller coaster stretches I think for me as a Raptors fan, like just in general, not just over the last five years. Because yeah. going into the break, everything feels sad. Then they they get that Hornets win, and it's like okay, everything maybe everything's okay. They made the Ibaka trade just before that Hornets game, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like I think in attendance for that game. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, he didn't play. Close. But um, yeah, do you remember like your where you were when you heard the Ibaka trade news and like how you felt? Um, I was at work actually, so like yeah. I, I wound up writing a long, uh, writing a long feature about it, okay. um, which in which I basically you know praised Masai. I thought it was a great trade. Um, I was thrilled. Yeah. Um, I and, was uh, feeling bittersweet about everything, but I knew it was a deal that had to be made. <laughs> yeah, understandably so. But uh, I, I thought it was a great trade, and um, you know even to this day it's it's paying dividends. So yeah. Um, yeah, I remember so, yeah, I was. I was at work as well. I was doing my uh, gas meter reading job for Enbridge, and I was walking around, and it was like minus 20. It was freezing ass cold. And I remember getting the new notification and being like, holy shit, they're, they're doing the thing. Like, they're doing this thing. They they're, they're made the trade. They're, 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 like, going for it. And I remember just be like, I didn't have anyone to talk to. I was just walking by myself doing my route, and I come across this dude at some house, and I'm like, are you a Raptors fan? He's like, yeah. I'm like, Serge Ibaka. He's like, Serge Ibaka. And then we just, like, shared a moment. Never saw that person again. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, the, the whole Lowry thing happens. And then, honestly, that Celtics game on the Friday, and even the Blazers game where I think, uh, like, still, those first two games out of the break – where we didn't really know what the extent of Kyle's injury was, and it was like, oh, maybe he's just going to be out like a couple games or whatever. It wasn't until after the Blazers game when it was announced that he was going to miss like however long, six weeks or whatever it was. Um, and then, right. so those first two games, I remember just being like, oh my god, they won these two games. Like PJ Tucker's ripping the ball out of Isaiah Thomas's hands like a baby. Uh, and then the Blazers game, Abaka had a really great game. I think he scored like twenty plus or something like that. Uh, shot yeah. incredibly. And it was like, all right, they're going to do the thing, and Kyle's going to come back, and they're just going to like walk to the playoffs, and then boom, Kyle's out for the rest of, for most of the rest of the regular season. And then you come to that Knicks game on the 27th, the night that you've learned that Kyle's going to be out for a long time, and it had potential to get very dark. And honestly, for, for the most part, it was a very dark game. I remember watching this game at my house in Toronto with Will Lou. He came over to watch this game. We had watched the uh, the Terrence Ross denied buzzer beater earlier in the season. Uh, that was an emotional experience, and then this one was just like that. Uh, but then when Demar hit that hit that shot over Derrick Rose to win it, it was uh, it was really special, man. It was uh, and like it was like okay, maybe they'll be all, all okay. Maybe they're gonna just ride this like terrible offense, but an incredible defense with Ibaka and Tucker as like the four five combo of the future. Um, and it was just all going to be okay. Do you remember sort of your feelings as this sort of stretch of the season was playing out? Yeah, I mean, they were winning super ugly, um, and I think it actually turned out to be like a low-key, pretty fun stretch. First of all, DeMar, like, carries the team. Insane. Offensively. Um, I mean, that Celtics game was just... The the Raps are down big early, and Mm -hmm. then Damari Carroll decks Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas does the (laughs) finger guns in his face. Um... PJ Tucker's on no sleep 
but somehow like manages to be the best player on the floor. They completely turn that game around. And then uh, it's like DeMar, calling out DeMar's defense after the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, we'll coach him up. We'll get him better. <laughs> uh, DeMar had like 43 in that game too. So that yeah. just like made it doubly amazing that he was getting called out. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, it kickstarts this, this stretch where they turn into this really scrappy team. And mm-hmm. my single favorite game in that entire stretch is that Bulls game. Yep, I have the box score already prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so they've lost 12 in a row against the Bulls. They're down 15 with like five minutes left. And this isn't, I, like, I don't even think that Jimmy Butler was playing in this game. Is that possible? No, he played. He played 44 minutes. He had he 37 okay. points. Yeah, he was very good. <laughs> Um, but like the Bulls were not particularly good Um, no they're five games below 500 and then all of a sudden like the game starts to turn the Bulls start making like a couple bad turnovers Um, PJ Tucker hits a couple of threes and Serge Ibaka and Robin Lopez get in a fight yes yes (laughs) Serge gets gets tossed from that game after throwing hands with Robin Lopez honestly that punch to this day like, had that landed, I think we're talking about, like, a very, very, very serious suspension for Surge. Like, oh, yeah. that was a bullet of a jab. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fortunately, it didn't connect. Uh, <laughs> so I think he only got a one-game suspension. Yeah. But, um, so this is another game that I was, like, fortunate enough to attend. And the crowd was literally on its feet for the entire final five minutes of regulation and all of overtime. Yeah. Because... Everybody there knew, like, how important it was to beat the Bulls and break the curse in this, like, honestly meaningless regular season game. Um, it was kind of surreal. I think, also, again, shouting out Blake Murphy, I think on this day he had dropped his piece where he'd gone back over the course of the losing streak and kind of went through every loss. And it's almost like it broke the curse, <laughs> like him writing that whole piece out. Um, I think, like, Jack shouted him out on the broadcast, if I recall. And, um, yeah, just... I remember writing a thing after this game because DeMar was insane in this game. I wrote like a top 10 DeMar DeRozan plays from the fourth quarter or something like that. And I had enough content to make it a very real top 10. It was fucking wild. Um, yeah, the block it, on Joffrey Laverne is the one that I remember. Yes. Oh, my God. It was outstanding. It was – that was maybe my favorite DeMar game. It's like right there with the the Bucks game last year where he goes for 52. Um, just – or 53, whatever he ended up getting. Wonderful stuff. Uh, the, the one where I was rooting against him actually being Terry's record. <laughs> it's like, you don't right. need these free throws, DeMar. It's fine. <laughs> um, and then so that season continues on. Kyle comes back late, and then you get the Bucks, uh series. Do you have, like, recollections of that series and, you know, how you felt about that playoff run? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I remember I watched game one of that series with Will, uh, in Jurassic Park. Okay. Um, utterly dispiriting game, just demoralizing. <laughs> Lowry gets outplayed by Matthew Delvadova. Oh it's, it's really dark. Um, they squeak out game two. Lowry hits a big shot at the end of that one to kind of redeem himself. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Bucks had actually tied it, you know, Giannis had a three to tie that game late in the fourth quarter, just utter panic. Um, and then game three is like grim death. Uh, they get blown off the floor. The game's over after five minutes, and this is the famous, uh, you know, Giannis looking at the uh, the box score after the game um, <laughs> with puzzlement, as he says, only eight points and all free throws. Yeah, and uh, I I thought they were gonna lose the series at that point in time. I really did. 
Yeah, and then the next game, uh, game four, I remember I've never been more stressed out for a Raptors playoff game in my entire life. I watched this game at my girlfriend's place in Hamilton uh, before I moved here. I was just like a wreck the entire game, and it was good it was a 3 o'clock start because had it been like a, a wait till 8 o'clock type thing, I would have been an absolute mess and just a write-off for the whole day. Um, and this is where they make the starting lineup change, where they put in Norman Powell in place of Jonas Valanciunas, am I correct? Yes. Yeah, they start surge at center, and they have Damari, uh, Norm, Damari, and Kyle. And Norm goes 3-3 three three from deep. And I remember, so this is like one of those weird passages of a game where I have felt like really, really good. It's one of the highs for me over the last five years is every time Norm hit a three in that game, it felt like they had solved the series almost. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, oh, okay, they're good. They figured it out. The Bucks have no more bullets to fire. And they figured it out. I know it was an ugly game. They won 87-76 or whatever it was. But and, but DeMar had a great game. Kyle was okay. Serge was awful. I remember he almost shocked them out of it in the fourth quarter. He missed like 12 straight shots or something insane like that. Um, but just kept taking the same shot over and over and over again. But I just remember every time Norm did something in that game, I was like, okay, they figured this out. Norm's saving their ass again, and it's it's all good. I don't know. Did you, did you yeah. feel the same level of confidence or no? Um, no, I mean, first of all, I was at a uh, wedding uh, this day. It was um, my now fiance's uh, brother's wedding. So right. we were taking photos all that day, and I'm like sneaking out to like stream bits of the game on my phone. Yeah. So I didn't really watch it in full, uh, but I watched most of the fourth quarter, and it was just, you know, anxiety the entire time. PJ's <laughs> defense in that fourth quarter was amazing. Yeah. Um, I think that was really what turned it. But uh, from this point forward, I mean, Norm just saves the series do you know what he shot from three in this series uh like a hundred percent 10 for 11 <laughs> 10 for 11 yeah um anyway yeah and then, like they had a great game five they just uh blew the bucks out yeah. um and then game six it is looking like it's gonna go that way they're up 25 points in the third quarter yeah um and then the bucks go on and... like oh, something some ungodly run <laughs> Yeah, the Bucks wind up leading by two points uh, in like the last two minutes, and the Raptors dig themselves out of it with a Patrick Patterson dunk, yep, a Corey Joseph three, yep, and then that Demar driving dunk uh, over Thonmaker and Giannis to basically put it on ice. Yep, that was uh, as uh, at the same time Bruno was going nuts, and it's insane to think Pascal Siakam is playing in the G League Finals during this game and not on the Raptors. It's fucking wild. <laughs> Finals MVP Pascal Siakam. Yep. Um, I wonder, like, if he if he wins Finals MVP this year, I guess that would probably make him the first player to have ever won Finals MVP in both the G League and the NBA. You'd think and so, probably, yeah. Probably the last. <laughs> uh, until Jordan Lloyd does it uh, this year and next year. Um, yeah. Or Chris, Chris Boucher, Boucher maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what a weird box score for that game six. Only two Raptors in double figures. DeMar has 32 on 12 of 24. Um, Kyle is a pretty decent game, but he's like low volume. He's probably just doing his Kyle, like run the show without doing all that much type thing. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, a scrappy put it together type of effort. And yeah, they, they held on. And then the Cavs series happens. And then like you go from the high of winning a series in under seven games for the first time ever to LeBron throwing out an off-class dunk in the first minute of the fucking game one, and I was just like, oh, well, all right, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, the series was literally over after that alley-oop. Yep. It, was like, it was like 30 seconds into the game, and I remember tweeting 
the, like cancel the series. Like, <laughs> you know, not long after that, he was like swilling the beer on the sideline yeah. and like spinning the ball in Ibaka's face, and oh it was just um, Lowry sprains his ankle and then doesn't come back reportedly by choice because he's about to be a free agent yeah. and uh, has his eyes on the Sixers or the Spurs, and it seems like he might be out the door, like. Uh, and that, uh, that of course, leads to Masai uttering those famous words, uh, the culture reset. Yeah, I forgot about the culture reset, to be honest. Um, I, yeah, did you think, what did you think was going to happen when he said that? I thought Dwayne was gone, for yeah. sure. Um, I thought there was a decent chance that DeMar was going to get traded. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it just seemed like it, you, you didn't, you couldn't have really known what he was hinting at, but it certainly seemed like sweeping personnel changes uh, were going to be part of the equation. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely a surprise when that did not at all happen. <laughs> um, yeah, and they come into... The yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, like, the Ibaka thing, he signed before Lowry, right? If I'm not mistaken? I think they signed in conjunction. Like, it happened on the same day, almost at the same time, because they had the same agent. Right. I feel like Ibaka um, signed first because I remember, like, I prepared a Kyle's returning post because I think it was like a few days into July and I was like, okay, it feels like it's probably gonna happen here because the spur, all the money's kind of dried up around the league. The Wolves went and then got Jeff Teague, and it's like, okay, that was a logical destination. That's not there anymore, um, and it just felt like there were no other teams that were gonna sign Kyle, which is exactly what happened. Um, and all the reporting suggests that like he probably didn't really want to come back to Toronto as his first choice, but he just kind of was forced into it. And the Raptors obviously had a lot of incentive to keep him and give him all the money. And uh, I remember I, I wrote a post like, hey, Kyle's coming back. And I had put, like just had it prepared and pre-prepared it. And I went to go see, I think, the big sick. And I came out and Kyle had signed. And it was like oh, such a nice relief. It was just like, okay, this is all, he's coming back. The era, the, the, the era of fun, because I was team run it back at this point. Like I was like, yeah, losing the second round every year, it's better than being shitty. Um, and so I was team run it back. And then they come into the preseason, and they play that game in like Hawaii against the Clippers, and they shoot like, what, 45 threes in that game or something? And it's like, oh, shit, uh, what's going on here? This seems interesting. Yeah, and they hit like 12 of them too. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, they had, like they were shooting terribly the entire preseason. Um did someone get hurt in the preseason? No, that was Jared Sellinger the year before. Forgot about Jared Sellinger. <laughs> Maybe the most uh, anonymous Raptor of the last five years, if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, the last season was just a treat, man. It was just so fun. Like from the the game where they blew out the Cavs with the bench kicking their ass and Fred kind of having his moment. It was just the unexpectedness of it all really kind of resonated with me and it was like yeah like this is a better season because the expectations coming in where this team was going to be like a middle of the pack playoff team and it's fine and they're like well maybe they can change their offense a bit but will it stick and ultimately the offense stuck and it was like the defense that let them down um but just i don't know the the emergence of pascal and Jakob Pertl and it just for me it was just a not quite the same heights obviously as the 2016 or 2015-16 season with like the playoff run and everything but I've never enjoyed watching basketball more than last year. It was just so carefree. It was special, man. Like, yeah. I think, you know, regardless of what happens with the Raptors moving forward, I just think they'll, there, there will never be a season like that one. Yeah. Um, it was so unique and so unexpected and so joyful. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, until it wasn't. But um, yeah. it's it's honestly crazy to think, looking back, that like the Spurs had a ton of cap room that summer, and they could have probably just had Lowry if they wanted to. Yeah. And instead, they decided to give all that money to Patty Mills, Pau Gasol, and Rudy Gay, yeah. and look where they are now. And just <laughs> like just ushered Kawhi Leonard into our arms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, moments from that season, like the the Siakam breakout game against the Warriors. Yep. Uh, a game in which Pirtle also has eleven offensive rebounds, and yeah. Kevin Durant on the post game interview shouts out Jakob Polo, <laughs> um, demolishing the Cavs on national TV. Um, that almost comeback against the Warriors after they'd given up like I don't know eighty something points in the first half, and then came all the way back to within one point. Yeah. The Rockets um, game, fifty-two against the Bucks. Both Rockets games really were awesome because yeah, the first the one was OG's Rockets first start. Yeah, the first one was OG's first start, um, and they won in Houston. And then, yeah, the one in Toronto was amazing. They did, they just looked yeah, like the, the better Rockets team. Seventeen-game win streak. Yeah, yeah, and they, the the Raptors just looked like the better team the like the entirety of that game. I know they won yeah. it, but by, by three. But like they just they seemed equipped to win that game in a way that maybe like I think they had like a like Harden had a fourth quarter where it was like oh shit he's gonna do the Harden thing but um I never really felt totally concerned they were gonna lose that one um and then yeah that Warriors gaming at where Pascal had the fourth the third quarter I was listening to that on the radio just being like what are they like getting the names wrong here is like Marv Albert on the call getting the name wrong of like the guy going off right now um yeah man just uh I even remember like not even being that mad when they lost to the Knicks. Remember when they had that uh, third quarter where they gave up like a twenty-five-zero run and Tim Hardaway had like thirty-eight. I was just oh, like, yeah. I can't be mad at this. Like they're really good. They're winning all these games and like good. Good on the Knicks for being good. Like the Raptors are at the point where I don't have to be upset about them losing anymore. That was kind of uh, a, a big moment for me too. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, I definitely just enjoyed like every ounce of that season, like every minute of basketball, and tried to watch the team as much as I possibly could. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's that Pistons game with like the Demar dunk on Tolliver and the Fred game winner. Yeah. Um, the JV fake handoff and the buzzer beating dunk, like just so yep. many great moments. Yeah. Um, delightful stuff. I just. It's all kind of the cloud over it is the fucking Cavs series, but it's like even then there were moments in that series where it was like, yeah, like they can win this. Like the game one, God, <sighs> I feel so. Is that where is that why Fred's broken this year? <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's like he hasn't been the same since uh, was it was it Bam Adebayo who just yeah killed him with Crushed that screen, him screen in game eighty two. Yeah, yeah, and then. Chasing just, 60 wins, man. Yeah, it just he... <sighs> missing those threes at the end of the game. Like, the regulation and then having the chance to, like, redeem himself. The poetry there could have been so perfect, and then it just didn't line up that way. Jesus. Against the Cavs, Jonas had 21-21 and 21 in game one. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that stretch in the third quarter when he was just feasting on Kevin Love? Yep. And, like, he gets an and one that puts the Raptors up 10 or 11, and he's, like, got this finger wag, and you can hear him, like, mouthing, he can't guard me. Yeah. Um, I think I wrote about just how, like, oh, if Kevin Love's going to shoot 3 of 13, Jonas can be on the floor, they can leave him, and that's fine. Then Kevin Love got hot, and and we know how the series <laughs> ended. Um, honestly, though, I think Game 3 might have negatively affected my mood more than 
game one did. I remember watching game three thinking they were going to lose because they were down quite a bit at halftime, if I recall. And I was just, like, starting to eulogize a little bit. I remember I was listening to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and I was, like, making up, like, dumb song titles <laughs> to go along with the... Like, as I was listening through the album, like, dumb Raptors, Cavs, Domination puns that were going through, like, my mind. Like, re rewriting the lyrics. And as I was doing this, the Raptors started making a comeback. And I was like, oh, shit, maybe this is good luck. Maybe I should be doing this all the time. Um, and then... Like, they play Surge and OG for, like, what felt like the entire second half. Um, and Siakam as well. It was in that front court with, with, Surge, with, with Surge, too. And it just felt like, you know, DeMar got benched. But, like, just the lineup they had, they had a mix that was just making sense. And OG at 20. He hits that three. And then we know what the fuck happens. But, I don't know. Like, what was your sort of emotional trajectory during that game? Um, I never got too emotionally invested in it just because I expected them to lose the series. Right. Uh, and once that game started and the Raps got down early, I expected them to lose the game. So I was almost just numb at that point. Yeah. And the comeback was like a really nice, pleasant surprise. Lowry and OG were both incredible. Um, and, you know, my big takeaway from that game was just that OG was a stud. Yeah. Like, he was so goddamn good. Um, and seeing him do it in the playoffs, like, really, I, it was easy to forget, but they, there had been, like, a moment late in the season, or, like, a stretch late in the season when he had, like, looked almost unplayable. Yeah. But he had a big lull, and we were kind of wondering whether he was going to get played off of the floor in the playoffs and, like, was going to be excised from the rotation. Yeah. Uh, and obviously that didn't happen at all. Like, he was, you know, maybe the best of those young guys in the playoffs, and, and that game solidified it for him. Uh, and obviously that three did as well. Yeah, he so, very much had uh, had big balls during that those playoffs. Like they, they, yeah. were, they were Sam Caselian for sure. But I wasn't like so emotionally invested. Like I was really excited when he hit the three. But I think even if LeBron hadn't hit that ridiculous, you know, one-legged running bank shot, like I think the Cavs would have won in overtime. Yeah, and I just at least this way we you know we got to be part of an iconic LeBron moment. So. <laughs> I guess for me, there was still like, had they won Game Three. There was still, like, a little tiny bit of me that was, like, hey, like, all the numbers say they're the better team. They probably should have won two of the three games so far if they pull that out. Like, there was still a little inkling of me that said, hey, maybe they can win this. But it really seemed like game one kind of hung over them the entire time. And they were just, like, this is never, we're never overcoming this ever, ever again. And, like, they kind of kept pointing back to that, too. It was, like, yeah, well, game one happened, so we're off the hook for the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think that that the series is completely different if they win that game. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's crazy to say that you know they maybe even win that series if they win Game One. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's likely necessarily, but I do think that completely changed everything. Uh, it just and, reinforced all of the yeah. sort of boogeyman stuff that was in their heads. I think going in, right? Like, oh, for sure. And then yeah. I mean that game too. Like people forget, but like they were up at halftime of Game Two, yeah. and just the fact was like the Cavs were so much looser than they were and like LeBron with a one nothing series lead and all the confidence in the world could afford to be taking those just utterly ridiculous fadeaways <laughs> oh my without God. really concerning himself with whether you know the Cavs won or lost that game because I think he knew at that point he was in the Raptors head and he was just going to do whatever he wanted yeah um, wow. and then you know obviously game four of that series ends with DeMar in his final act as a Toronto Raptor clotheslining Jordan Clarkson and getting ejected yeah, I forgot about that. 
I the game four, I don't remember a second of. I know Kyle didn't do much and Demar didn't either, and that was about it. I, I, I you don't think... remember Bebe coming into the game in the second quarter? Oh my god! But that... it was still a four point game. That's right. Now I remember it. Thanks for bringing it back. It's great to relive yeah. all of these moments. It's so nice. Um, yeah, that game and game four against the Wizards are probably the two games that I just like like just glazed over for the most. Just like I I can't experience this. I don't want to do this. This is terrible, and we know what the outcome is going to be. Um, but obviously, we go into the summer, and they trade for goddamn Kawhi Leonard, and they fired Dwayne Casey, bring Nick Nurse in, and now we kind of are where we are now. Um, it is so insane to, like, I was thinking about this, we'll probably wrap this up soon, because we've been going for like an hour and a half, but, um, I was thinking about this, uh, like, during this whole week while ESPN was just crawling all over Toronto, and, like, the Giants of Africa stuff's going on, you got all these, like, big names in Toronto, like... It's ridiculous how far it's come with the Raptors since 2013. Like it, it's, it feels like a long time. Like it, again, we've kind of rolled through these games, like these seasons, in a very long fashion here. Like there's a lot has happened, but at the same time, like to go from what they were to what they are now in that short amount of time, it's remarkable. And like Masai, dude, like just a statues, there's multiple statues everywhere. Like replace all the moose statues. Around the city with with Maasai statues, like really, it's I, I. It's just hard to really sort of understand how, like, quickly things turn around. And honestly, I'm starting to consider like, when does it get to the point where the Raptors are like their goodness and their relevance kind of like makes it so you can't even wallow in the bad anymore? Because it's getting close to that thing. Like, I know most of their history is still bad, but like the last five years have been so comparatively good to those dark years and especially now it just seems like they've kind of leveled up a little bit this season too like at some point they're like you can't really be like oh this is a very sad franchise now yeah i think i'm i'm already there yeah you know i already feel like we've gotten past that um and maybe there are still like some stigmas about their playoff failures or you know playing in canada in obscurity all this stuff but i really do think that's starting to fade and like if they can you know put their best foot forward in the playoffs this year. I mean, whether they make the finals or not, like if they go to the conference finals and have a competitive series against, you know, whether it's Milwaukee or Boston, whoever, like I do think that that will go away. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially if Kawhi resigns, I mean, I think that would just kill it for good. Um, Obviously a lot still to be determined there, but like, I think, and I talk about this all the time, like it is a borderline miracle that they, without tanking, without bottoming out, went from, you know, where they were, at the start of 2013-14 to where they are now. Yeah. Like, like it, it's insane. This is not a trajectory any team has taken, I don't think. Like, the closest you could say is maybe the Rockets being sort of ho-hum for a while and then trading for James Harden. Um, but, like, just the... Like, the Raptors going from what they were and not getting... Like, just... I mean, I think a lot of this, obviously, there's going to be a, quite the legacy of player development for Masai and Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse and the entire, you know, Raptors coaching staff and system because, like, a big part of it, you know, to help augment getting the very good players and, you know, fostering Lowry into Rosen's growth is just, like, they don't waste anything, right? Like, they use their picks and they sign on drafted free agent guys and they just have made good on everyone who's come through, save for, I guess, Bruno at this point. Like, everything they've done has led to something tangible for the team. Even though Norm Powell right now is kind of a disaster boy, like, 
He's saved the Raptors' asses twice in the playoffs, and that's a guy they traded Grievous Vasquez for and also got the pick that became OG and made Terrence Ross expendable and that other first-round pick expendable. Uh, it's just, it's, all of it is just the, the 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 sort of domino effect and just sort of the lineage of Masai's moves all kind of leading. Even the fact that, like, the Bargs trade yields the pick that eventually becomes Pirtle, who becomes part of the Kawhi trade. Like, all of his moves have kind of been building towards something, and... Obviously, I guess like the the ultimate final test, the final boss, if you will, is signing Kawhi this offseason and convincing him over the course of a year, like, yeah, this is the place you want to be. But honestly, the way Masai's plans have kind of played out so far, and the way he's talked since he got here, like at some, I think the quote he said the most is, "At some point, someone's going to realize this is the place you want to be. Someone's going to realize how great it is here." And what a great organization and city and, and culture and everything this, this this team has to offer. And like, honestly, if you had told me a year ago that Kawhi Leonard was going to be on this team, I would have thought you were insane. I said at the start of the offseason, like, there's no way they're trading for Kawhi. So stop asking me mailbag questions about it. It's not happening. And they did it anyway. And Masai, like, deserves insane credit for having the the Cassells to do that, right? And, and like, not a lot of... I think there's a lot of teams right now kicking themselves for not putting their even, like, second-best package forward to try to get Kawhi to trade and being worried about all the mystery and whatever. And Masai was like, you know what? Like, we have to make this move. This is a move to make. And, you know... I, I don't know where are you at if in terms of like your confidence level that Kawhi is going to stay. It's obviously impossible. He's not a very knowable guy, but I don't know. Like the 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 situation that's been set up for it is it's it's kind of encouraging. And for me, like it, for people like Windhorst and other people to be like it's either the Raptors or Clippers, that's a win in itself at this point of the year to me. Yeah, I think. Uh... I, I don't know. I can't call it, I guess, 50-50 if yeah. you're asking me. But, like, without knowing what he values yeah. um, and where his priorities lie, what he wants, uh, I just – I'm never going to be able to say with any kind of confidence. Like, yeah. you know, if the Raptors make the finals, does that do it? Is that enough of a selling point? Or does he really just kind of, like, want to go and play in L.A.? Yeah. Um, I, I just don't know. But, um, you know, I think that the Raptors have made their best – possible pitch you know they put him in a really good situation um they've put him front and center you know their offense revolves around him like um i think everybody has been really supportive of him in word and deed like uh and he is on a team that is really well suited to both highlight him and also compliment him Mm -hmm. you know he can be that guy uh, while also being surrounded by like really talented teammates um, so from a basketball perspective, I think it's a great situation, um, you know, and culturally, I think it's a good fit too. It's just, it's really just a question of what he wants, but it doesn't matter to me. You yeah. know, like Masai doesn't need him to resign to be vindicated for this. That's true. Uh, yeah. the, the trade, you know, like, and, and the way that it's worked out so far is vindication in itself. And, um, I mean, I've been thinking about this, like Masai is going to go to like the basketball hall of fame, right? Like, for everything he's done as an executive and, like, with, you know, basketball without borders, Giants of Africa, like, all this stuff. Yeah, I think, probably. Like, um... The only thing that stops him is if he, like, just stops doing basketball stuff relatively soon and just, like, decides to focus on charity stuff. But, like, even which, then... Which is possible, yeah, I suppose. But, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he's not around five years from now. Yeah. But, like, I think what he's built, it seems lasting to me. And to, to build that in five years is, and, and obviously things can change and 
like who knows maybe MLSE's priorities will change and like the the money to sort of build outside of the salary cap structure in terms of just like putting resources into everything else that they have like I, I, I don't know. I, I maybe that does that goes away at some point. Maybe having Masai there as the figurehead that can be trusted by the ownership group, or who I don't even know, whatever faceless person owns the team at this point. Um, like maybe without Masai, that falls apart. But like it does feel lasting. It, it feels honestly why they were able to move on from Dwayne Casey, right? Like Dwayne was hired to be a culture builder, and he did that, and then they outgrew that, and. I think now we're, they're kind of showing that they're self-sustaining at this point. Like, this is just a franchise that is fully functioning. It knows what it's doing. It is an envy of most teams around the league. And for the, this all to happen in five years, just it, it boggles the mind. It really does. Um, one last yeah, question. Yeah, thinking like the Rudy Gay trade. <laughs> yeah. Like five years down the line was going to lead to the Raptors having Kawhi Leonard and being, you know, the best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, but it really has. Like, it has every move that Masai has made has been a stepping stone towards this with really very few step backs. I mean, obviously, the the Damari Carroll thing and having to attach a pick to get rid of him was not, not awesome. But, like, other than that, I can't really think of, like, obvious missteps in Masai's no. management, right? And, and, like, again, it's like that and the Bruno pick. Yeah, That's it. yeah. But even then, it gave us it's going to be a good one. So <laughs> who, who cares? Um where did the Raptors, the last one here for you? It's kind of an interesting thing because we talked about sort of the inability to wallow in the darkness of the franchise anymore. Um, where do you think the Raptors ranked before the gay trade in terms of like sad boy franchises? And where do they rank now? Just like encompassing the whole history. Because I think you could argue before the gay trade, they're maybe only ahead of like the Wolves, the Wolves and Grizzlies and maybe Charlotte as like the not like the, the, as like the the saddest team the, the saddest franchise history in in the entire league the wolves yes and grizzlies obviously they both made conference finals by that point but you know memphis has the whole vancouver residue still stuck on it and the wolves they went to a conference finals but they were in like year 9 of a playoff drought by the time the gay trade happened and only had really had the kevin garnett years and even then they didn't make good on those years and other than that they'd been a disaster so like I don't know. Where did you have them before, and where do you think they are now? Before, honestly, I would put them ahead of the Charlotte franchise, the Hornets slash Bobcats. Yeah. And I think that's literally it. <laughs> like, even, yes, Sacramento and, and Minnesota were sad at the time and, like, had, you know, were, were mired in their playoff droughts. But, like, the Wolves had some very fruitful Garnett years. They made it to the conference finals. They won 50 plus games a bunch of times and, like, had at least had a, an era of sustained success. With he won an MVP the, there too, yeah. So Yeah, one of the three or four best players in the league, you know, there for like 12 seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Kings had had, you know, that great stretch with uh, with Weber and Divac and Peja. Like, those were great teams, iconic teams. Um, you know, they go to game seven of the conference finals against a, a, a three-peating, you know, historically good Lakers team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Raptors had never even remotely approached that. Uh, obviously, their franchise history was shorter, so they didn't have as much of an opportunity. But at that point in time, they were 18 seasons in, five playoff appearances, one series victory, never more than 47 wins in a season. And a shit ton um, of superstars departed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I yeah, I think I would have ranked them 29th, honestly. Uh, like, even the Grizzlies, they had the grit and grind thing. You know, they had this yeah. strong... Uh, cultural identity and like a, a really uh, nice run of, of solid seasons. They'd made it to the conference finals and beaten some good teams along the way. Like mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Raptors have never done anything approaching that. So 
Yeah, that's fair. Uh, now, honestly, like, I'm rolling through the standings right now, just kind of looking at teams. Like, I would say the Bucks probably have a better history, but even then, like, it, like Kareem is probably their peak <laughs> way back in the day, right? And it's it's hard to, like, they haven't won anything, and they've had some pretty lean years. Obviously, Giannis kind of affects it now, and I guess longevity, you'd put the Bucks ahead of Rap- ahead of the Raptors in terms of, like, happiness overall as a franchise. Um like Sixers, Pistons, Pacers probably ahead of them. The Celtics too. The Magic, mm-hmm. the Magic are an interesting one, I think, because yeah, that's had... another team that's like you know high highs and low lows. But again, like yeah. the you know they have that that Shaq and Penny team that is just one of the most iconic teams of our modern era. Yeah, um, I would say the and... Wizards are definitely sadder than the Raptors at this point. Yeah, Not and I close. think now I would put like at this point in time I would put the Raptors ahead of the Kings. Um, yeah. I put them ahead of the Hawks, the Wolves. Yeah, um, the Nets probably. Well, the Nets are terrible. What, what, have, yeah. what have they ever won? They had John Calipari for some time, and they had a nice finals run, but they got shit kicked. And now they're, yeah. and then they had an entire decade lost to Billy King and Mikhail Prokhorov. <laughs> Do they win any ABA championships? I don't think so. I, I, even if they did, does that matter? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'd say for sure. Hornets, Wizards, Nets. The Knicks are an interesting one. You mentioned this in the DMs before we came on. Because, like, yes, they have two titles, but, like, do early 70s titles really count? And since then, it's been god-awful. Where do you put them? Um, yeah, I guess that, that one gets complicated, just with, like, them having actually won titles before. Um, a long, long time ago, but nevertheless, they can hang the banners. Um and just like being an iconic franchise, even though they've you know become synonymous with bumbling incompetence in the last few years, <laughs> like they're still an iconic franchise. Uh, you know, and they still have some some really good years in the Patrick Ewing era. Um, they make the finals as an eight seed, <laughs> uh, and that lo- lo- uh, lockout shortened ninety eight ninety nine season with like Latrell Sprewell and uh, Allen Houston, I think. Yeah. Um, so still like a, definitely a more accomplished history than the Raptors, and like the Raptors still have. You know some blind spots on the resume. They've never been in the finals. Yeah. Um, they've never had a player make an all defensive team. They're the only team in the league that hasn't put somebody on an all defensive team before. That's crazy. Uh, they've never had an all NBA first teamer. Uh, they've never had anyone finish higher than seventh in MVP voting. Yeah. Um, and you know they have these these playoff flops that everybody uh, likes to joke about, and meme <laughs> about, and um, so you know they're still uh, they still have a lot to kind of shake off reputation wise, but. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like uh, that uh, reputation has changed a lot. Um, so yeah. yeah, I would put them. I, th- I feel like they're kind of like twenty first, twenty second among uh, uh, saddest teams if we're taking if we're taking the whole and not just where they are right now. I think you could maybe bump them up to like eighteenth. Like I think they the Nuggets are probably sadder in, in on, on the whole. Like they never won a t- <laughs> they've never been to the finals, right? Am I wrong True. there? Um, and I know they've had like good teams, but I don't think they've ever had a team as good as this Raptors team. If that's maybe that's like a hot take off the cuff, but like to think back, yes, their jerseys are nicer, but <laughs> their jerseys now are ass. So I don't know. Uh, the Thunder's an interesting one, just because uh, I guess with the Sonics, like they had a lot of. Ver- I guess they won a title. Never mind. Like they're they're fine. Um, like the the Clippers are definitely sadder than them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, they probably, they've, they've surpassed the Clippers, I think, at this point. I think they've probably surpassed the Grizzlies now. Um, 
Yeah, the Pelicans for sure. Oh God, that's uh, that's also Bobcats Hornets adjacent. I don't even know what the hell. <laughs> uh, I'd say they're maybe their closest comp to me would be the Suns. The Suns obviously have a longer history, mm-hmm. but like they've had some pretty dark periods as well, and kind of fell short when they did have their best shots. Maybe they maybe the Suns are more storied. I don't know, but like the point is the Suns. Yeah. The Suns first. Of all, the Suns had like. An incredible run in the early 90s. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. Like those Barkley teams. And then they have that like Nash run, which is like, again, you know, if we're talking about iconic teams, Transformative. Kind of team that really like yeah. was revolutionary and changed the NBA and is just going to be remembered for a really long time. Like, I think that's actually like the marker of like a distinguished franchise. Yeah, you're right. They're, having, they're ahead of the Raptors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think like, you know, it's, it's like having a run where you have sort of one cohesive identity that defines like an era of, of successful basketball. Yeah. And. I, I think you could say like the Raptors are kind of approaching that yeah. uh, with this Lowry era and like everything that we've just gone over, you know, the last five years. Yeah. It's getting to that point. And especially, you know, if Kawhi sticks around and kind of uh, bridges eras and takes, takes that into the future and, and they're able to sustain it for like another five or so years, mm-hmm. then, you know, they're starting to get into that conversation. Uh, but for now, I think they still have a long way to go. Yeah. I wouldn't say the Raptors like stylistically are one of those iconic teams, but I will say in terms of like team building and management like they are an exemplary team and will be remembered but by like management nerds if that's a thing um and like the the dunked onification of the world i I think will remember the raptors very fondly for what they've done um so there's that Well, it might be like a spurs type of thing where it's you know rc buford and popovich get so much of the credit for what happened there over two decades yeah so maybe it's similar to that yeah, that's that. That seems to be sort of the trajectory it's on. We'll see. Obviously, Kawhi sticking around has a lot to do with what happens. But uh, yeah, you're probably right about 2021, 20, 22, somewhere in there. But like far better than where they were before. Um, and as of right now, like I, I can't think of three or four teams that would be you know that that aren't looking at the Raptors and saying, "Damn, I wish we were that." Yeah, I agree. It's like the Celtics and Warriors probably right now, right? Yeah, maybe you could argue the Bucks, um, and you could probably throw the Lakers in there just because the Lakers will always be the Lakers, and yeah. uh, they can always hang their hat on you know being the the utmost free agent destination and yeah. probably getting somebody to pair with LeBron uh, this summer. So yeah, uh, but aside from that, yeah, they're uh, I think the Raptors are kind of like approaching almost be like glamour franchise status. It's so weird. <laughs> it's, it's weird. I still don't really know how to like put it all together in my brain it's it's bizarre um well we've gone for an hour and 40 minutes uh it's a lot of ground to cover it was but this was a good one i'm gonna get in so much trouble for posting this always one podcast but hey what the hell it's a special it's the five-year rudy gay anniversary um so i i think it was worth the extra time on the air joe man this was fantastic as the last five years have been. It's been delightful. Also, underrated thing of the last five years, I think it's kind of led to there being a bazillion Raptors writers and bloggers and stuff who have kind of become a little more well-known and gotten to flex their muscles a little bit. And you are one of them. I'm one of them too, man. Like, I haven't started... I didn't start blogging until they were good. Like, I think uh, that's an underrated thing too. There's lots of very good coverage of the Raptors in line with them becoming very good, I think. Um, yes. And, and just like countless sad boy raptors blogs uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that have like really uh, kind of exemplified this era for me like the feeling of just sitting down 
and like being so despondent and yeah. like just uh, getting all my feelings out in a column <laughs> and, and like putting it all down on paper and feeling so much better when I was done. Yeah. Um, so I'm grateful, man. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's nice to be a fan of a very good team. It rules. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of your work. You're a very good writer. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug right now? Uh, no, nothing in particular. Um, I just you know I, I write a couple features a week at the Score, so you can always check out my work there and uh, follow me on Twitter at Joey underscore W. Um, but yeah, nothing in particular to plug. Uh, just uh, grateful to be able to do this uh, retrospective. It's been a lot of fun, man. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for Patreon subscribers, there will be a Patreon podcast coming out this weekend where I'm going to actually do like a top 10 ranking of uh, the post-Rudy Gay trade moments. I'll have like audio and stuff to play. So stay tuned for that on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Raptors if you want to check that out. Uh, I'm also going to attempt to write a column for Raptors HQ for tomorrow about the last five years. Try to get some thoughts that were uttered today and some other ones into written form. Uh, haven't been writing a ton lately, but hey, that's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll try to work those muscles tonight. Um, what else is going on? That, that's about it. Subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all the places to get your podcast. It's very, very helpful. And uh, thanks to everyone for, for tuning in. And we will talk to you on Monday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.